This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Steve Allen. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Steve Allen on LBC. Morning, everybody. Sunday morning in London town. It's nice when it gets to this stage because it's nice and quiet. The aftermath of the uh, carnage earlier on has vanished. And even as I stagger into the studio in the morning, there's sort of hordes of people heading the other way which, as far as I'm concerned, is always good news. Katie Price sells her story. She's finally got over the emotional trauma of being cheated on by her husband. She's kept him, of course, but she's willing to sell it all for cash. Uh, Anton Dexho's gone off to America. Not with them, because they're not known in America. The Russian cover-up on flight MH17. Bodies now disappearing and the looting. Almost a worldwide embarrassment, is it? Condemnation from just about everybody. And is Putin budging? Is he hell? He's not going anywhere. He's not remotely bothered. No matter how much posturing you get from the governments around the world, Europe aren't keen to say anything to Putin uh, because they're worried about what the ramifications could be and what, what sort of things could we possibly do that would affect him in any way, shape or form. That's why he's sitting there. We won't do anything. Well, don't think at all. It's just a load of old hogwash, I'm afraid. I felt terribly sorry. I watched the television the other day and there was an Australian family. This is the second time they've lost people on a Malaysian airliner. The first time was where it went missing and they lost two members of the family. And this time round, they lost three members of their family. It's almost like, you know, Malaysian airlines need to sort of either close down or rename it or something because it's beginning to have a jinx to it. front of the people this morning is a whole British family who are wiped out. The Allen family, no relation, I hasten to add. And uh, they went on a trip to Indonesia. Sandra, Julian's son, Ian and Christopher and Dad John all wiped out in the missile horror. When you saw the, uh, the pictures of the looting the other day in the paper, I felt heartily sick. I felt, I felt disgusted that people could actually go out and loot from bodies. They've taken cameras out of cases. They've stolen things. I mean, the passports managed to survive. But there's a whole pile of passports. I'm surprised they didn't pinch them as well. It's absolutely disgusting, the things that people will pinch. People taking pictures of the, of the carnage there. And, uh, and so far from Putin, nothing. Nothing at all. Not remotely bothered. You can have emotional phone calls. I think the, uh, the Dutch uh, Prime Minister has phoned up and almost begged to get the bodies back. And um, so nothing. Absolutely nothing at all. You cannot believe that there is no compassion in this man. You cannot believe that somebody could be that hard about it. It's quite clearly the missiles came from Russia in the first place. They're the only people who could have supplied them. But uh, what's so tragic about it is that this could have been any plane. It's just sod's law, isn't it, that it turned out to be um, another plane from the same country that we went uh, last time round. It's just, it's just appalling. It's on the front of every single paper. Uh, families begging for the return of their loved ones. They don't care which bits they've got, just bits of them. And there are pictures of, of body bags lying in fields. And uh, then they've said 38 corpses. Not exactly the best Sunday listen, is it, I'm, I'm afraid? But, uh, you know, 38 corpses have gone missing. They're trying to, to hide evidence, proving they shot it down. What do they think they did? Float out of the sky for no reason at all? I'll tell you what was even more hilarious the other day. Some of the rebels were saying that the plane was full of dead people anyway, and it was done there to discredit them. Yes, that's why they've got pictures of them boarding the plane. That's why they've got CCTV pictures. I mean, these people are too stupid for words. I mean, quite clearly, if they had one brain cell between them, they'd be intelligent. But when you look at the amount of people that die, we just get blasé. I was listening earlier on to a piece that Christo was running, saying, you watch, in ten years' time, you won't even remember the flight number. That's how, that's how fickle we are about news today. That's how sad it is that you read out the, uh, the facts and the figures and it just becomes a blur, unless it's your family, unless it's 
members of your family or people that you knew. You look at the uh, the bodies, some of whom survive falling out of the sky, some blown to pieces. And as I said on Friday, you can only hope that it happened really quickly and that nobody suffered in any way, shape or form. Obama's got to do something. What they can do, I've got no idea. I seriously don't know. They, they, they've sort of said, oh, you know, they can bring in sanctions. Do you think Putin is remotely bothered by sanctions? Do you seriously think they're... Bo- of course they're not bothered by that. Do you want to take on the might of the Soviet Union? Dear God, I mean, put it this way, if they can bring down airliners just like that, I should imagine they could cause a widespread destruction everywhere. I mean, you hope it never gets to that. You hope that somebody, somewhere, sees common sense. But then the more you read about it, and the more you hear from all the experts, and even on the television this morning, they were saying Putin is just... <laughs> nothing. It doesn't appear as though we've moved anywhere with him. He doesn't... He appears to be at an impasse. They're not, they're not saying anything. Uh, they've obviously made some sort of statement. Whether or not you can, you can drag them out screaming and make them say something, I don't know. But at the moment, it's stalemate. Nobody's saying anything at all. You've got people going, oh, fantastic, we brought down a, an airliner. Oh, Malaysian airliner. Well, we thought it was a military plane. Well, we didn't, actually. And the surface-to-air missiles that sort of move... You know, unless you, cro- unless you close the borders, I don't see how you can stop these things trundling backwards and forwards. That's what they do. Human life is... is they're not remotely interested. It's like in the Gaza Strip, isn't it? Exactly the same. Quite clearly, nobody bothers about human life when you've got children's bodies being brought back from the beaches and children's bodies being brought back from the Gaza Strip. It's tit for tat. I don't see any end in sight at all. We had this discussion yesterday. Strangely enough, I was out with a couple of friends of mine who were in the business, and we weren't talking about it, but the the waitress in the restaurant where I was eating said we were just talking about this because there was a big demonstration in London yesterday. And uh, it started in Whitehall and then moved on to the Israeli embassy. And she said, we were all talking about this. I said, there's no end in sight, is there? I can't actually see a solution to the problem. All you need to do, you know, just when you have a ceasefire, so they have a ceasefire, then the moment it finishes, off they go again. Human life, very cheap. Very, very cheap. We should think ourselves lucky we're not caught up in the middle of this, this war zone, because you wouldn't want to live there if your life depended on it. You know, where do you want to live? Certainly nowhere like that, thank you very much indeed. It's all, at the moment, looking fairly good for us. Well, it was looking fairly good for us until you read that the former Speaker of the House of Commons, uh, George Thomas, was now under investigation for, for paedophilia. I mean, I, I, I seriously, when I, to be honest with you, to be brutally honest, I wasn't at all surprised he was gay. That didn't surprise me, because I always thought that George Thomas was gay. But I certainly didn't expect that. What I, what I didn't expect was that the police were told about this in 2013. This was a year ago, but didn't do anything. Now, whether or not word comes down from on high, which is what we've heard before, in the case of Cyril Smith, I don't know. In the case of the Speaker of the House of Commons, George Thomas, I thought everybody liked George Thomas. Well, they might have done, but they quite clearly didn't know, because now a nine-year-old boy has come forward, who is now 55, to say that George Thomas was a friend of his foster parents, and he abused him over a two-year period. And you think... Is it just rife in the House of Commons? Is it, it, uh, you know, we just thought it was the BBC. I mean, strangely enough, of course, we actually say the BBC, but of course, uh, many of the people are ITV people. They're not necessarily BBC. Although I watched the other day, it just goes to prove how times they have changed. And a friend of mine, Ray, sent me in some copies of some shows called Seaside Special, which went out on the television, I think possibly, I might be wrong, in the 80s. And uh, there's all sorts of it. Topping the bill on one of them, Rolf Harris. When you watch it now, you kind of cringe a little bit. But at the time, Rolf Harris was a big star. And then I was watching a Royal Variety performance, and it goes to prove how low the standard was for the poor Queen, who had to suffer with it. And I watched Lenny Henry's first performance back in 1981 on the Royal Variety performance, doing impressions. 
He was doing impressions at the time. And Dickie Henderson, who was introducing the show, said, this is a young man. He said, this could make him a star. This show could make him a star. And I thought, well, he went on to be a star, didn't he? Uh, unlike poor old Katie Price, who's obviously decided, having got over the shock, the humiliation, sorry, the humiliation, that, sorry, that her husband cheated on her twice. How I laughed. Uh, and, and then it sort of goes through all the other ones that she's been out with. And, uh, and she's, she's finally got over the shock and she's able to, t- to tell you, her adoring fans, exactly how, sorry, how much it's hurt her. And, and, and over four pages she tells you this lurid, boring, boring, sad little family. Honestly, Katie Price, Kieran, an apparent... Sorry, this is the revelation. He might have cheated with two... Two women. I mean, how she's managed to pull herself together, Gould alone knows. But anyway, she thinks that she punched uh, Jane and knocked out half her front tooth. Lovely. She saw red, apparently. It's funny that, isn't it? Because you don't ever see Katie Price as being anybody hard at all. You feel like going, and she'd fall over. But anyway, it's hilarious that, uh, that Kieran cheated with two people. And as opposed to listening to Kieran's side of the story, we have to suffer with Katie Price. Can't wait to find out how much the sun paid for this pile of balderdash. It really is. And they say, her fury at catching hubby with best power. She made him take a lie detector test. Ooh. But uh, she knew deep down that Kieran had not told the truth, so she enlisted the services of a detective. A detective! You'd have thought, being, being intelligent, not, that she'd have kicked him out straight away. But no, she's clinging on to him because she ain't got anybody else. It's a great shame. Of course, remember Dwight York... That lasted about a year, and uh, and then they had Harvey, so that was lovely. So she had a child out of the relationship. And then Peter Andre, that lasted five years. Four years of misery, I should imagine, for him, while the uh, the most boring woman in the world uh, got close to him. They split up. They have uh, Junior and Princess, because they've all got the best names. And then she had Alex Reed, and then, of course, she had to keep putting a lock on the cupboard door, on the wardrobe, because he kept wearing her clothes. And that was a bit embarrassing as well. And uh, she, she got rid of him because uh, he became obsessed with his celebrity status. A bit like poor old Jordan, really. Uh, she's obsessed with her lack of celebrity status. And then Leandro Penner. Little Leandro, I mean, even we were surprised at that. Everybody thought he was gay. But anyway, he trotted out of Argentina. She met him at an Oscars party. Nobody quite worked out how he got there or what he was doing there, because he didn't appear to know anybody, but uh, he'd obviously been rented in for the night. And then they drifted apart due to her family commitments. No, they drifted apart because he said she was a self-obsessed old baggage who kept Googling herself on the computer all the time. That's how dreary her life is. Small wonder, darling, that Kieran Kieran Haler cheated twice. I mean, you know, it's hilarious. And yet you've had to stick with him. Why? Because she's pregnant with his child again. I mean, it's bordering on a small football team, isn't it, I think, at the moment? A bit like Kerry Katona, but at least, at least Katie's got over the anguish of him cheating on her. I mean, it's so marvellous, isn't it? Because you are Little Miss Perfect, and for that we salute you on a Sunday morning and say, enjoy your 30 pieces of silver, because your love life is a total disaster. Quarter past six. Morning, everybody. A sad day for the Sunday papers because the main story on the front of every single page is of the bodies stolen by pro-Kremlin rebels to hide evidence in the Malaysia Airlines disaster. As Russia was accused of a mass cover-up, grieving families pleaded for their loved ones' remains to be returned home to this country, to Australia, to Holland, because they want to bury their loved ones or what remains of their loved ones. So they've now started begging. Russia, of course, just totally closed ranks on this one. Absolutely nothing at all. It's just so terribly sad. Uh, front page of the, the Daily Star is a story that you have to take with a pinch of salt. It's the, the story of the Crime Watch host, Jill Dando, 
who was apparently investigating rumours of a paedophile ring operating at the heart of the BBC. A source close to the presenter... Now, I've got no idea who this could be. We'll find out in a moment. Says she compiled a dossier containing the names of DJs, stars and staff, who she suspected of being involved in organised abuse. Who she's... She had no evidence at all. This was Jill Dando. She was just a TV presenter. So she suspected of people. So, I mean, it's like me making up a list of people I suspect in, you know, a sort of accused of illegal immigrant uh, activity in this country. It's just just a made-up list, isn't it? But uh, she said to have handed the file over to senior managers at the BBC. And they probably went, yeah, bless you, and patted her on the head and said, go away. Because that's what they seem to do with everybody else. She said she wanted an inquiry into the BBC abuse claims. Where have these come from? Where have these claims... Her ex-colleague who asked to remain anonymous. In other words, it could be a load of old hooey, this. Says, I don't recall the names of all the stars now and don't really want to implicate anybody. I bet you don't, because they'll be suing you like there's no tomorrow. Just because Jill Dando, dead... And, of course, you could say anything about Jill Dan. You could say she was compiling a list of people who are not paying proper tax at the BBC. Would have meant just about as much, I'm afraid. Um, I think she was quite shocked when told about images of children and that information on how to join this horrible paedophile ring was freely available. Is this another crackpot who's gone to the papers, or is it just totally made up? Because I don't... The person who wishes to remain anonymous. You say, why would you want to remain anonymous? This is obviously quite serious. You obviously believe that this was a serious investigation by Jill Dando... But, as, you know, but, but you think to yourself, but nobody else was doing it at the BBC. Why was Jill Dando? Where would she get information from? People she suspected. What, did they have a funny walk or something? Did she go, oh, look, somebody's got a limp. Pedophile. You know, is that how it worked out? Because I shouldn't imagine Jill Dando had any more knowledge of what went on at the BBC, as, in fact, the, uh, the big brass had no knowledge of what went on the BBC. Uh, they said they will look into the allegations, but they've not seen anything to, to substantiate the claims. Um... Yes, I mean, put it this way, we all know about about sexual harassment at the BBC. I spoke to a presenter yesterday. I spoke to a presenter yesterday who's, uh, who's on radio, very well known, and she was telling me about, um, about experiences of sexual harassment at work because of the fact she was a, a woman. Because of the fact she was a woman and the boss was a male, he was, he was making various suggestions to her. And I said, but you're not allowed to... Nobody's allowed to say things like that. Years and years ago, it was, it was a different climate. You know, it was quite normal, you know, for people to sort of go around, hello, put their arm round... Not me, of course. Nobody ever put their arm round me. I was the only person in the office who was like a pariah. You know, don't go anywhere near Steve Allen. Goodness sake, kick your teeth in. And, uh, and so there were lots of people. I mean, it was quite normal. People went out drinking. Relationships were formed for that one night or whatever it was. And that was the culture. The culture was drinking. In Fleet Street, drinking. And women then were on an equal footing. It was, you know, it was the, you know women got paid the same as men. It's only recently I've realised that the, the gap seems to have widened again now. And in fact, this, this person I was talking to, her boss said, well, listen, you know, you're, you're, you're never going to earn as much as, uh, as a male presenter because you're a girly. I thought, what a patronising thing to say to somebody. If you're doing exactly the same job as a man, why would it m- not mean the same amount of money? He's saying that women can't do it. She said, well, to be honest with you, she said you wouldn't believe the amount of sexism that there is against women in the business. I've sort of never thought about it. I did hear tales of... Um, of actually a couple of our so-called comedians in this country who try it on with every woman under the sun. And literally, to the, to the state of, you know, you have to sort of kick them into touch and go, you're a dirty little man, don't do it anymore. Some of them you actually catch and they, they then go into court and they then go, go to prison as a result of it. But there's still, there's still a few out there. 
I mean, I could probably name names as well, but unlike Jill Dando, I've got first-hand experience, so I, I could quite clearly name names. But I, I just, you know, when somebody says, oh, I don't want to name names, and you think, well, why not? Why not? I mean, how many people are... I mean, I'm assuming the BBC have got thousands and thousands of people. But by the very fact there are so many people working there, there must be, there must be people who are interested in having sex with, with young people. Would, would there not be? In exactly the same way as, as Westminster, or people running homes, or scout leaders, or police officers, people in position of authority who have that power to do things. And we were told the other day that there is this list of paedophiles who go onto the internet and they, they exchange abuse photos. And I think they arrested 661, and they said there's another 10,000 people who exchange and use the, this bitcoinage and they exchange images on the internet. I would have thought that was a highly dangerous thing to do. I mean, because there's only a few, about five servers, aren't there, in the world that can find somebody instantly. Everything you access on your computer, unless you've managed to sort of deep clean it, is logged in its memory. So when people take their, their computers in and go, oh, it's not working, they take it into a shop and the person in the shop goes, have you seen some of the stuff they've got on here? Because everything is stored. It's all images. Obviously, people aren't that bright. Interesting. Jonathan Ross is, uh, is in talks now to save his Saturday night chat show. Um, they've, uh, he's actually called on bosses to make a string of format changes to keep the ratings up. Yeah, I would think actually not booking guests that came through your, uh, your former agent, Addison Creswell, because that's all he booked last time. It was all just people through that. Um, he's also persuaded them to scrap episodes in the new year over fears he will struggle to land A-list guests. It's very difficult to get A-list guests all the time. Because they've got to be available. If they're coming onto a television programme, lots of them don't want to do it. And I know this because, you know, when we're booking guests for In Conversation, we don't have, we don't have any trouble getting guests. It's trying to fit everything in at the right time. And they've got to fit in, sadly, with me. Because I can't record in the middle of the afternoon. On only a couple of occasions have I, have I done it. And that was only as a favour because by that time I'm falling asleep, I'm afraid. I get up at one o'clock in the morning. So uh, when we did Armstrong and Miller the other day and John Barrowman, ironically, both at the same recording studios... Not on the same day, both on different days, and, uh, and I sort of trot up there. But that's good, because they'll actually send a car for me at 8 in the morning. 8.30, I'm there, and the celebrities, as in the case of John Barrowman and Armstrong and Miller, were there for the whole day at that recording studio, doing lots and lots of interviews. Mine is the longest, so they try and get me done first, so then they can go, don't worry, only another 18 interviews to go, and they'll all be an average of 10 minutes, which always, always pleases them. So I can understand how Jonathan Ross is sort of feeling on it, but it's, it's a case of... Do we want another chat show on the television? I was watching telly the other day and I kept thinking, do you know, there's very little on the television now that, that is keeping my attention. There is nothing. He says they want to keep it fresh, but how do you keep it fresh? It's a, it's a chat show. You know, unless they're all going to sit there stark naked. There's nothing you can do to keep it fresh because it's just one man and a guest and a, another guest. And then they cut to people sitting in the green room. That is the format. What else are they going to have? People out on the town doorstep? No. There is no way of changing it. And, uh, and, you know, and I wonder whether or not they'll bring the chat show back. I suppose he, he, he carries a bit of a track record, so he'd be all right for things like that. But, it's, but he's, he's right. Finding the guests all the time and finding the, uh, the A-list guests. I remember at the moment, old Parky, Park, you get a free Parker pen just for inquiry. Have you noticed on that advert where Michael Parkinson says, you know, and you get a free Parker pen just for inquiry, they've dropped the Parker pen. It's now just a pen. You might as well go to Argos and pinch one of those little blue ones because they're just about the same as this one they're giving away. Because it was, I'm so disappointed. I watched the advert the other day. I said, and you get a free pen just for inquiring. Because it used to be a Parker pen, and that was worth... I used to inquire about ten times a day. I've practically got enough to open a shop at the moment. All onto different names. It's fantastic. Done it easy. 
don't want to sort of tell you that, you know, in my little secrets, but uh, I, I do like the free free gifts on the television programmes. If they say this is a free pen or free free television for inquiry, I'm going for it in a big way. Uh, Busty Bianca Lake. No, I don't know who she is either. But you'll be delighted to know that she's uh, she apparently was in Big Brother. I've got no idea where, but uh, this poor old, poor old creature, and to, much to the delight of her parents, I should imagine, is uh, telling of romps that she's had with Frankie Cocosa, uh, and uh, she did a strip for Antonio Banderos, and she had a stormy threesome with James Argent. <gasps> Your parents must be so thrilled with you, darling. They really must. That's our daughter, the scrubber. You know, what do you do when people sell these kind of stories to the papers? She bedded six men in the same session at an orgy. Oh, you're so classy, aren't you? You really are. I mean, do these people think that this is fame? They probably do, actually. Do they really think this is the world of celebrity? Or do you think people are looking at you going, you're just cheap, aren't you? You're just really, really cheap. It's very terrible and very sad. Kenny Samson, it's also quite sad. But saving him from booze and gambling, he's, uh, he's working as a scaffolder. And he's loving, it, loving every minute of it. There's a lot of these footballers who fall off the wagon. Some fall off due to gam- gambling mainly. Gambling is their big thing because they've got so much money and so little brain. And so off they go and they do their gambling and, and they're quite happy. And then some of them do drugs and then some of them just disappear completely. And uh, some of them turn gay and some of them don't turn gay. And some of them attempt to kick a football and some of them try and they fail miserably. And that's called the England team, ladies and gentlemen. And being caring and kind about them this morning because at least Kenny's tried to turn his life around and at least he's there. It must be very difficult when you've been a, a big star. You know, he's 50, 55... And, uh, I mean, following his retirement, he then went off the rails. Because what do you do when you've been a footballer, professional footballer, and you retire? There's nothing left to do. You sit there and you twiddle your thumbs. And he says, so I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm stronger now. So he's been doing scaffolding for about four months. He still gets asked about his football career. Of course he would. Played for Arsenal, didn't he, for goodness sake? One of their star players. But uh, then he lost his, uh, his home. And uh, earlier this year... He was uh, cleared by magistrates in Bromley of assaulting a former partner. He's now relishing his new life. Well, at least he's picked himself up, which is good news. I was complaining the other day about I wanted to go to the cinema and see the new Planet of the Apes movie, but it was so expensive to go to the pictures nowadays. In London, it's about £13. I can't afford that. It's a load of money. I mean, it's bad enough putting petrol in the car. Without having to, in fact, to be honest, I'd rather watch petrol going into the car than actually sit at the cinema. But anyway, Alf wrote to me and said, why don't you drive down to sunny Bognor Regis, where it's now showing. You can watch the film in the comfort of the newly refurbished Picture Dome for £2.50 weekdays and three fifty at weekends. Great value. My partner and myself regularly go and see all new releases. We have a coffee each, and the total for all that is £9. You should try it sometime. It's very cheap, isn't it? £3.50, I think, is absolutely well worth it. Absolutely well worth it. Oh, I must warn you, I have to do this because it, it came up yesterday and it's going to be a huge problem for you in West London. The Hogarth roundabout flyover is closed. They closed it yesterday morning. The tailback was to the cemetery at Mortlake. I warn you now, this morning I came through it, thinking on oh, Sunday morning it'll be a little bit better, and they've managed to take down. So in other words, you can't go up over the flyover because it's all closed. There are a few people working on it. I say working, they seem to be standing there with fags on, staring at it most of the time. But anyway, so that to one side. Then there were two lanes coming up to the traffic lights. Unfortunately, because of the phasing of the traffic lights, 
they don't normally expect that many cars to go to the traffic lights, so the traffic coming out of London over the Hammersmith flyover gets preference, so that's why you get the traffic build-up. Nobody's thought, because they're not bright enough, to change the facing of the lights. This morning what they've done is two lanes coming up to the traffic lights. It's now one lane coming up to the traffic lights. One lane. And we sat behind some bozo who was attempting to manoeuvre a very small little crane thing, I mean tiny, and uh, he just held up all the traffic. And they're so ignorant... So ignorant. They've got six weeks to do it. To be honest with you, it would have been easier to sort of bring in somebody else. Just bring in a huge bridge in, in a huge crane and put it down there and just get rid of the other one. Because they, they can't manage to make the Hammersmith flyover work. I think you've got problems there. Problems on Putney Bridge. West London, nightmare. But if you are coming into town tomorrow or even this afternoon and you're coming in from West London... I was listening to the traffic yesterday and they were saying slight delays on the A316... 40 minutes I sat there, 40 minutes, trying to get through the Hogarth roundabout. So my advice tomorrow, Monday, when it is going to be absolutely appalling, is take another route. My advice would be to nip up through Brentford, if you can manage that, down the Q Road. Again, you're going to need to leave early for this, because everybody else will be doing the same thing. Come up through Brentford, look at me knowing my knowledge, uh, cut through Chiswick and go round the back, OK? And that way you can save time and effort and also strain, because there will be an awful lot of strain. But there will be those people who have not heard this programme, and for them we say, ha, 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 you're going to be sitting in traffic tomorrow. It's going to be an absolute nightmare, I promise you. There will be traffic tailed up, there will be short... Because when the traffic lights change to green, how many cars does it let through on that bit underneath from us coming out of Richmond? Four. I counted it yesterday morning because I was, I was watching the car. Go, go. And some people obviously sit at the traffic lights with the car out of gear and the handbrake on. So when the lights change, they then put it into gear and take the handbrake off. And that, because by that time, they're practically changing back again. And you feel like I'm shouting. Oh, well, I can't tell you what I'm shouting at them. I'm, I'm not being very complimentary, let's put it that way. So my advice tomorrow is take an alternative route. You will thank me for it. Quick time check. It's 630 Steve Allen on LBC. Well, you're 26 minutes to seven. Main story in the front of all the papers today. The families that were wiped out in the uh, tragic flight MH17. Their trip uh, wiped out in a missile horror in a matter of seconds. And there's a whole British family here have been wiped out. Australian families. They said there was a lot of people who were working uh, within the AIDS uh, industry, people who were advisors, they were wiped out as well. Children, it was totally, you know, that didn't make any difference. Men, women or children, they couldn't care less who they were. And uh, they all just came down at the same time. The problem now that we've got in the papers, and the problem the papers have got, is trying to persuade the Russian uh, Premier Putin to actually get the bodies back to his country and to, to leave no stone unturned. But so far, he's ever just sitting there, perhaps going out, you know, riding his little horses and totally oblivious, couldn't really care less. Couldn't really care less. That time he started showing a compassionate side. But uh, at the moment, nothing at all. There appears to be nothing that's happening uh, on behalf of Russia. 25 minutes to seven. Frankie Sanford got married the other day, another one of the dreary Saturdays. I watched them on some pop programme on uh, Channel 4, hosted by Makita, whose interviewing standards get worse and worse and worse. She was trying to interview Rizzle Kicks, and that seemed to be, you know, going nowhere. Then she talked to a little band called... I can't remember what they are now. I think it's got Colleen Nolan's son in it. They're, they're, sort of, they're, they're number one in the charts, and they were singing live. No, not yet. They're called Ringston? Kings? Rings? Re, Retin or something? I don't know, whatever they are. Uh, Retina or something interesting. And uh, they were very good. They actually did play live, whereas the Saturdays mimed badly. I began to think, what a fraudulent way to earn a living. And then they were going, oh, we're going out on tour. I thought, what, miming? 
Hardly worth bothering, is it really? Hardly worth bothering. And they were miming so badly. At some point, I thought the cameraman's going to get into so much trouble for this one, showing people sort of not singing and then singing when they were the only ones singing. And you could tell by the sound quality. And the one thing that you could tell, whether they're singing live or whether they were Memorex, was they kept taking their microphones out of the stand to do their little, their little dance, which they've rehearsed. Now, if I touch my microphone here, let me just give a quick demonstration. That's what you hear on my... That's me just... You know, if, if I move my microphone... That's what you hear. You hear a booming. Not a peep out of their microphones because they weren't live. Because if you take your microphone out of a stand... And also, when they first started singing, I thought, you sound as though you're going through auto-tune. It was all a little bit... Like that, which means it's electronic. And then I suddenly realised that what I wanted to do, and I did tweet it... I so want it to happen. I, I so want it to happen. I want these groups who mime to go along to a show and the, uh, the people who are running it go, terribly sorry, we've lost your CD. You'll have to sing live. Just to see what would happen. We did it once on Five's Company. It was, a, it was a little bit embarrassing. We had a group on there. They don't exist anymore. I can't tell you their name, but they were a little Irish band. That's all I could tell you. Little, little boy band. They'd come over and they're very cute. But they only have a little rehearsed song which they can do to prove that they sing. So, you know, it could be Away in a Manger or something like Hark the Herald. It doesn't matter what it was. But in the actual show, they do their thing. And unfortunately, the sound engineer left their microphones up. And so you could hear them singing, but then you could hear them singing over the top of them singing, which you shouldn't have been able to hear. And their manager, who was in the green room... When they started, of course, they were all flat as pancakes because they couldn't sing. They could, you know, none of these groups can sing. Very few of them. And uh, they were, the manager went mental, absolutely mental. Turn the mics off, turn the mics off. And, of course, the sound engineers go, well, which ones are we turning? Of course, by this time, they're halfway through the song. And they were singing over the top to themselves. But because they were singing flat, it made it sound even worse. And that's why when I looked at the Saturdays, I thought, you're not singing this at all. This is called miming. Because they can't reproduce on stage what they do in a studio. So when they do a concert, you know, I'd be quite keen to find out how much is live. Is it just the end mic where they, they, they go, OK, your mics are on live now? They didn't even have earpieces in, as far as I could see. And they go... Whoa, thank you very much indeed. And that's it. And you think, yeah, bunch of old frauds. Anyway, they sort of turned up, all over made up, and they turned up to little Frankie's wedding, and uh, her, her footballer husband was there, Wayne, with their son, which is lovely, who's been pixelated, so obviously he's been in prison already, because they only ever pixelate people if they've been in prison. And uh, Marvin Humes was there, and his little wife, Rochelle. Rochelle's good, isn't she? Yeah. And uh, it was at Woburn Abbey. It's lovely, actually. Uh, Wayne, of course, was engaged to Vanessa Perencel, but they split after she cheated on him with footballer John Terry. I'd forgotten about that one. Forgotten about that. I did laugh yet. I'm changing the subject completely. Um, <laughs> I like watching the television occasionally to pick people up on their pronunciation. And yesterday I'm watching a programme. Um, I think it might have been a travel programme on the BBC. So the BBC have got hundreds and thousands of journalists, most of whom are complete and utter idiots, it has to be said. They can't pronounce anything but love and away. So they've got the travel programme presented by this bloke whose name I can't remember, but he's got a tattoo on his wrist. So the BBC have really dumbed down quite well with their reporters. Not that I think tattoos indicate you're of lower class or something like that, but in this case I think it worked. And they've got a girl on there who looked lovely, and then she mispronounced a word. Now you've heard of the Data Protection Act, haven't you? What did she call it? The Data the data protection. I nearly phoned up duty officer to go, can you get this idiot off the television? She's quite clearly too stupid. The data protection. I nearly laughed. 
I looked at her and I thought, you know, you look so intelligent and you turn out to be so stupid. The Data Protection Act. It's data. Data, dear. I felt like going round there. If I was the editor of that, going, how did this ever get out there, making us look really stupid? The Data I couldn't believe it. And we've got this data going on here. Oh, my goodness me. Cheryl Cole, look, we haven't mentioned Cheryl Cole. We got into the programme for 40 minutes and no mention of Cheryl Cole. The truth about her new marriage, it'll be over in a year. OK, that's all I need to tell you. You don't need to know anything else about it. Will it last? No, it won't. Is she pregnant? Who cares? Is he a complete dingbat? Yes, he is. Is he a playboy? Yes, he is. Did the family hate her? They weren't at the wedding. And uh, do any of her friends know her? I mean, why have we not seen pictures of Cheryl with all his friends with her chatting away in Francais? Or something like that, because he didn't introduce her. He's too embarrassed. Oh, this, uh, Michelle, this is uh, Cheryl. Oh, hi, all right, all right. You know, it'll be, oh, they'll be going, what is she? What is she? She looks so beautiful, and yet she opened her mouth and sounded like bricklayer. <laughs> you know, it's just, just not going to work, is it, really? Tom Jones says, uh, well, he, he could work. He's still going at the age of 390. And who, who's he going to team up with? Black Sabbath. Rod, uh, sorry, not Rod Stewart. Tom Jones could team up with Ozzy Osbourne. It started as a joke, apparently, some years ago. And, uh, and then they, they've said it, it's not a bad idea. Tom is 74 now. I mean, I just imagine by the time you pushed him on, share, on, on stage in his wheelchair and they sort of hoiked him out of it, he should be all right for uh, doing Paranoid or something like that. But uh, I'm not really sure, actually, whether or not Ozzy Osbourne, who's completely off his trolley now, I mean, really, you'd have, you'd have more luck talking to a fruitcake than you would talking to Ozzy Osbourne. It just doesn't. There's nothing going on at all there. Uh, just as we predicted on LBC, uh, Rolf Harris um, is not doing time at a tough jail. He's at a very cushy prison. He's been taken to Oxfordshire to Bullingdon to serve his five years and nine months, not to be confused with the Bullingdon Club, which is the uh, elite drinking society. And they say now he's been given special treatment. Well, it's obviously... The, trouble, the, the, the thing with, with Harris is that all of these events took place years and years ago. Years and years ago. It's, they are historical events. So what they're saying is he isn't, uh, he isn't a danger to anybody and uh, he's not receiving favourable treatment. They're quite keen to point out that he's not getting favourable treatment, but it's, uh, it's a small population there. Uh, they say whether un- other inmates try to get at him, they won't taunt him at all. They'll be, they'll be wanting to talk to Rolf Harris. I'm telling you for the fact now, there'll be no sort of attacking of Rolf Harris in prison. They'll be chatting away to him, saying, so, what was it like, this? Because most of these people will have grown up with him. 84850, steve at uk, And uh, Bridget says, I watched the concert from Edinburgh Castle last night. Boy George was excellent. Smokey Robinson should have stayed at home. Along with dear Ronnie Corbett. No, no, it can't be possible. We love it. Ronnie Corbett turned up at one of the Royal Variety performances, which I was looking at the other day. And uh, he was very funny. Uh, and then Malcolm says, what do you think of the smoker who's suing the backy company? for? It's not suing, it's been completed in court. And I think this woman has been awarded £16 billion 60, from a tobacco company because her husband was not warned of the dangers of smoking tobacco. It's like, you know, suing a car manufacturer because you had a crash because nobody warned you about how to use brakes. Uh, it'll never go through, even though it's gone through, that the amount of money will never be paid because this, this company doesn't have this kind of money to hand out. Because if, if one woman's going to sue because her husband died of cancer through smoking cigarettes, then you might as well put every single person in the firing line, every single person who's 
partner ever smoked and who died of lung cancer, you can sue the tobacco company because they didn't warn you, they didn't tell you exactly what the dangers were of cigarette smoking. And I, suppose, and I speak as, a, as an ex-smoker. It's not, a, it's not a proud boast of mine. I probably wish I'd never smoked in the first place, but I did smoke and I loved it when I smoked it. Uh, cigarettes and uh, 60 a day, which was OK. You know, I was quite happy with that. I was glad when I stopped... But I wish I'd stopped years ago, but then you can't turn the clock back. 84850, steve at uk. I see that uh, Paul Hollywoods, otherwise known as the man who cheated on his wife, but then, of course, she had to take him back again, because I think he sort of spun some old story to her, is going to front a new series about cars and motorbikes. Oh, lovely. He's only just uh, bought another car. Apparently the BBC expanded his contract to include the new series. Oh, God, just what we need now. Another dreary presenter of motorcycles and cars. How boring. How blooming boring. Honestly, it's bad enough with Stig and uh, all the other people on there. I'm just getting bored with Top Gear. It's just three three blokes, petrol heads, and, uh, and a bunch of baying nanny goats standing in an aircraft hangar with a, with a couple of celebrities who, actually, I have to be honest, are the best bit of the programme, where they put their foot down, and then you sort of, you look around and you think, what a dreary programme. What a dreary programme. So the idea that Paul Dreary Hollywood is going, to be, uh, is going to be out there doing it as well. Can't they think of anything new on the BBC? I feel up like withholding my licence fee money. I really do. I want to see unless they can come up with something decent. And at the moment, they haven't come up with anything decent at all. I mean, there's not even any good storylines in EastEnders. CBBC's going off the rails. In fact, there aren't any decent programmes at all. I can't think what they're coming up with. Then Brucey steps down, and we have to put up with some peculiar woman who's going to be presenting the, uh, the programme with old Toss Daly. And then we're going to have to suffer with some third-rate people, Andy Murray's mother. That's how desperately sad we've become in this country. They're not even recognisable celebrities anymore. It's somebody's mother or sister or daughter or, you know, somebody they just bumped into on an underground train once. Quarter to seven. <laughs> Every 13 minutes to 7, this is LBC at Steve Allen's Sunday morning breakfast till 8 o'clock. Petrie and Stig will be along then, because you've probably seen on the television that uh, it's, it's busy abroad at the moment. So consequently, reporters are being whizzed about all over the place. Karen McGiffin in her column today says, wouldn't you just know it, you wait four years for a new female cabinet minister and then four arrive at the same time. Yes, paraded in front of the cameras. And the only person who's ever got any, uh, any publicity out of it is Esther McVeigh where they started analysing everything she was wearing the other week, and is she capable of the job, and uh, is this good? Is it, you know, is it too late, says Carol McGiffin? And the answer is, you know, it's better late than never. No, it's tokenism. Of course it is. Otherwise he would have patronised, I mean, promoted them sooner. These women obviously weren't good enough in the last reshuffle. Why are they now? And the answer is quite simply because Dave is desperate to keep his own job by appealing to women voters he knows he doesn't have. I mean, do you really believe, do you really believe that that Mr Cameron believes that if he puts four women in the cabinet, women are going to go, oh, well, there's women in there, we're going to vote for them. Of course not, it doesn't work. That's patronising to people. I mean, no, it's, it's ridiculous. To be fair, he can't, he can't win on this one. If he leaves them out, he's being sexist. If he puts them in, he's being patronising. And that's why I'm not happy either, because it is patronising, says Carol McGiffin. He's insulting... Uh, my and our intelligence. Nothing to do with me being a woman, just me being a voter. A voter who's never demanded more women on the front bench, but one of these old-fashioned types who thinks the job should go to the best person for it. Michael, Michael Gove, for example, patently was the right man for the job, even though now, according to David, he's not. Why can't he just have the courage of his convictions and do what's best for the country, not for his image or prospects in the next election? It's true. 
It's true. I mean, you know, putting four women in was a was almost like um, a spoiler for any other news that might have been around. And they go, oh, look, and here they all are, and here's them turning up. And, of course, the media fall for it every single time. They'll happily go there, and then they start analysing, and then the fashion experts start analysing. They did, I think, in the mail last week. They analysed exactly what they were wearing. They don't analyse what the men are wearing all the time. Why would you be remotely interested in whether or not Esther McVeigh is wearing hair extensions or who does her makeup? Why would that affect anything at all? I don't think women, unless, you know, particularly uh, a certain sort of woman you're going to be appealing to, would be remotely interested in voting for somebody based on what they're wearing. Mylene Clash, uh, here she is. She's uh, on a friend's yacht, luckily with a photographer, and uh, luckily wearing her bikini, which is great. So they've got lots of pictures uh, of them on holiday. Why Mylene Clash is of any interest to anybody in this country, I can't imagine why she's on. But it's a two-page spread in the, uh, in the paper today so that you can have a look at what she looks like in a bikini. But we know what she looks like. We've seen her in Big Brother. So now you're getting uh, more and more. Uh, Charlie Catchpole is talking about boxer Amir, Ka- Amir Khan's American wife, uh, Faral, has rated her new hometown of Bolton as one out of ten. My brother-in-law, who comes from Bolton, reckons she's being generous. Yes, I mean, to be honest with you, I've never been to Bolton. I just know it's in Lancashire, and if she's given it one out of ten, and Charlie Catchpole says his brother says she's being generous, it must be even worse than we thought. Even worse than we thought. The subject of hearing dogs, Howard says, great interview with John Barrowman. If you get a chance to see a TV programme called Sue Thomas, Fibay, F-Bay, based on a, a true story of Sue Thomas, who's deaf and used a hearing dog called, dog called Levi, and she worked for the FBI as a lip reader. Oh, wow. I was in a... Um, Oh, it doesn't matter. I was was thinking of something completely different, actually. But I often wonder, because they use lip readers a lot now, don't they? When when the the royal family were having anything, and on the balcony, they got a lip reader in to say, what are they saying? And and of course, I mean, that's quite worrying, isn't it? You can be mouthing something very quiet, and a lip reader can spot it from miles away. (laughs) Noreen says, uh, everybody in a very sombre mood with the events of late. Very, very sad. I think it's more than sad. I think it's absolutely tragic. What's even more tragic is this uh, this family, and put yourself in their position, all they want is their loved ones back. They want to give them a burial. They want to be able to grieve properly, as opposed to just being told. One woman had to phone up and say to her friend that all your children have been killed in this flight. She said, and they, they quite rightly said the other end, she said they, they didn't know what to say. They, they were just crying. They don't know what... There is no answer. What, what, what do you say when somebody tells you news like that? Uh, the other thing which was uh, affecting everybody was the storm on Friday, which, I mean, just absolutely bucketed down. I've never known anything like it. And then on Saturday, a friend of mine went off to do a car boot sale, and she said, oh, the weather's atrocious. Standing in the middle of a field with 12 other people was no fun. In the end, she packed up and went home and put all the stuff... Uh, into the charity shop. So if you're in a charity shop in Brighton, half of my clothes are there at the moment. I don't mind that, actually. At least they've gone, they've gone to cancer research, which is, which is good news. So I'm quite happy with things like that. But it's, you know, car boot set. Who can work out the weather? I'll tell you what it is for today. And uh, at the moment, it looks, it looks not too bad. When I say looks not too bad at the moment, it's sort of, it's, uh, it's sort of one of those... It's going to be a nice day or not a nice day. In fact, I can't even find the uh, the weather at the moment. Why am I not finding the weather for today? I shall find it in a moment. Wait a minute. Just give me uh, just give me a, a second to find it because no, there is no weather. Where's the weather gone for today? Can you ask them upstairs where the where the weather's gone to? I like to know. I mean, I've got a weather here that was at uh, was twelve o'clock last night. Do they have a weather for this morning? They must have one. 
I want to know whether I'm going to get drenched or not later on today. Uh, other stories running in the papers today. Uh, the, uh, the total recall. Cocaine, glass, painkillers, metal, salmonella, all con- in uh, contaminated foods in British stores. And they've recalled all sorts of things. Uh, four of the big supermarkets have all had to recall items in the past year. Sainsbury's have actually uh, recalled a limited number of their own brand, pitted black olives, which may contain small pieces of glass. I mean, unbelievable. Small piece of glass in olives. You don't expect it. Also, their frozen sticky toffee sponge pudding featured may also have small pieces of metal. Small pieces? Where does this come from? Uh, Morrison's alerted the public about their seafood cocktail and prawn mayo sandwich fillers in March over worries undercooked shellfish may be in some packs. They also sounded the alarm in July last year over its carvery roast chicken and stuffing because possible undercooking posing a risk to health. Blimey, if you can't trust the, uh, the, big, the big stores, who can you trust? In Tesco's four chocolate and nut cones, the ice cream, painkillers were found in it. Take a bit too far. Um, also, the, uh, the crisps here, real McCoy's, rich cut... Crisps contain plastic. Scottish cooked mussels. You can become ill. Seafood cocktail. Undercooked prawns. Uh, Asda's um, smart price corned beef. Butte. And in Sainsbury's uh, olives, as I say, glass. Salmonella in sultanas. God dear, doesn't even pay you to go outside now, does it? Absolutely atrocious. You, I'm, I thought, really, we could sort of go out there and buy stuff in the supermarkets and it wouldn't be, wouldn't be too bad. Unfortunately, how wrong was I? Very, very wrong. Uh, 84850, read the Edinburgh Festival, says Terry. Uh, Paloma Faith and Rizzle Kicks, Rizzle Kicks singing live. Yeah, they sing to part backing track, Rizzle Kicks. Because I never saw that woman singing at the concert they were on the other day. If they'd gone on a talent show and produced that performance, they would have been chucked out the door. Flat did not describe it. Yes. I mean, I put it this way. I, I just so want people to hear. I mean, I've got some friends who are sound engineers. And they've saved some of the recordings of some big stars attempting to sing. And, of course, the truth of the matter is that the majority of these people cannot sing. You know, they just about get through it, but they're, they're not worried about that. Because if you remember, Louis Walsh went on record when they were trying to launch some singer on the programme. He was one of the, the lads on there who's disappeared completely. So he'll be found in Sainsbury's stacking shelves or removing items from shelves very shortly, just to make sure we're all safe. And, uh, and, and, and everybody said, but he can't sing. And Louis went, listen, it doesn't matter about that. We can deal with that later. Of course they can. You can sit in a studio and recreate anything. And it doesn't matter. It's only when they come to actually sing live that you suddenly realise that many of them cannot do it. You know, go to a West End theatre. Imagine going to see Phantom of the Opera and the cast mime. Can you imagine? I mean, there are a couple of little bits in it where they have to use click track because it's just not physically possible. They have to go across travelators and there's doubles and all sorts of things. Imagine going to see Les Miserables and the lead character comes up and starts miming the song. I mean, just absolutely ridiculous. Just absolutely ridiculous. Um... There's a, a story here about the holidays wrecked by the storm that never happened. I was watching one of these holiday programmes the other day where people were trying to get away and their passports had disappeared or they were in the wrong place or they were drunk and they weren't going to let them on. All hinged around EasyJet. There are other airlines as well, but on EasyJet in particular, they do do these things and they, uh, and they sort of, you know, people turn up and they go, terribly sorry, late. there was an accident on the motorway and they go, I'm so sorry. 
I'm so sorry, you can't actually board the plane because, in fact, they've closed the gate. And people stand there and rant and rave and shout at the check-in staff. They must have the patience of a saint. Absolutely the patience of a saint if you're going to work on, on check-in anywhere at the airports. And now, of course, with the recent disasters, what I'm looking at here, in, a, in the papers today, there's lots of pictures of the rebel-held village of uh, Grabov. And they've got people from, from the village wandering around the cash scene. They're looting. They're looting. Grave robbers here. Ghoulish tourists taking pictures on their mobiles. Corpses just left lying around. You know, a shocking dispatch by the Mail on Sunday's Ian Birrell today of, uh, of, you know, looters raiding belongings of the passengers. Photos found among the debris. Camera cases found empty. You know, people just taking what they... Because these people don't have anything. So whatever these passengers had is a darn sight more. So they will go round and loot. I mean, it's, ab- it's absolutely appalling. I mean, it's, it's just dreadful. Absolutely dreadful. Although two cabin crew refused to fly on this plane over the war zone zaf- safety fears because there was that story on Friday, wasn't there, that the mail were running, that the plane was slightly off course. They're flying over a war zone where only that week they'd shot down, the rebels had shot down three, three, I think two helicopters and a fighter jet and they've shot them down and here they are flying right over the middle of it, almost taunting them. Almost saying, go on, dare you. And so they did, because these these uh, surface-to-air missiles have got huge range now, huge capacity, and they just went up there, I think two of them, and they just took it out of the sky. It was six miles up. Six miles up. Other stories in the papers today. The NUM lawyers dubbed miners thick after making £77 million from their claims. This is a legal firm that made money from miners' compensation claims has been dropped by a union after calling the members thick. The insult came in a training manual that the solicitors wrote for its own staff. In it, a generic miner making a compensation claim is named Mr Thickus Touche-Ortplanks. The National Union of Mine Workers is no longer using the firm, saying its 90-year relationship has soured. So they've made about £77 million. They always make money, don't they, all these people, out of the misery of, of everybody else, I'm afraid. Um, here we go. They're all at it. Now the Lord's Cricket Heroes and Borat join the list of celebrity tax avoiders. They've got a whole load of people here who, uh, who might or might not have actually uh, taken money and put it into these offshore accounts. The BBC's flagship current affairs programme Newsnight had a big story last week about public figures, including Andrew Mitchell MP, who'd invested in alleged tax avoidance schemes. And that makes the Mail Today... Loads more to come on your Sunday morning early breakfast. We have an hour. Prince George stands up. It's amazing. A huge round of applause. Prince George is, I think he's super glued, to be honest with you. I don't think he could actually stand up or fall down. My next neighbour's got a little boy called Matthew. And uh, Matthew can do sign language for planes and cars and all sorts of things. He's really bright and he can water plants too. So that's good. Uh, you might get a chance to own shares, McVitie's, Digestives or Jaffa Cakes or Fish Fingers. Some of the best-known brands are heading for the stock market. And Chris Grayling says employees who do something dumb and hurt themselves at work will no longer be awarded damages if their bosses have taken sensible steps to keep the staff safe. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen. That's next. Morning, everybody. Sunday morning on LBC. It's Steve Allen with you until 8 o'clock this morning when Petri Hoskin and Stig will be along with your Sunday morning breakfast show. And the main story that everybody's talking about today, and it's on the front of all the papers, the families killed by the terrorists. There's all sorts of people on the front of the mail today. They've got the families of a British lawyer and a banker 
Uh, John Allen, a brilliant partner in, in an international law firm, was travelling to Indonesia on holiday with his wife Sandra and sons Chris, 16, Julian, 14, and Ian, 8. Uh, also, Andrew Hoare, his wife Estella and their two sons, Jasper, 15, and Friso, 12, also perished when the Malaysia airline jet was downed. That's the front page of all the papers this morning. It's LBC. Now between now and 8 o'clock, we take all your texts and emails. 84850, steve at lbc.co. Dot UK. We should try and get uh, as much in as we can. Front page of the um, Sunday Express this morning, uh, as everybody's talking about, apart from the rebels stealing the plane's bodies, hoping to prove that they didn't uh, down it, uh, it's pictures of the Queen, who is a guest of honour at Prince George's party. I don't know what sort of party. Um, they, they, they've released a picture of him. There was one the other day which was taken, I think... Uh, down at the new butterfly exhibition at the Natural History Museum here in London. And so here he is, looking a very confident little boy. So he should, do you think he realises just what a privileged family he's growing up into? Do you think he's got the faintest idea that Granny is, like, super rich? You know, unlike the rest of us, Granny was just that kindly old lady covered in, in talcum powder. Now Granny's got a huge place here. But it looks like his hair's been styled. He appears to have more hair than his father. Uh, junior style watchers might like to note that George's cotton blue and white striped dungarees by the French label Petit Bateau. Have you ever seen that? There's one of these shops in Richmond. It's hilarious. And they do little little clothes for little people. And it's obviously quite sort of functional, which is good. What do they pay for it? But uh, they're sold online for £27.65. His navy blue leather Alex pre-walker shoes by early days are £30. Why is it the kids' stuff is so expensive? Parents everywhere nodding sagely, going, tell us about it. And especially when they start growing and they start getting through shoes at a rate of knots. Uh, the picture, they say, has captured some of the key stages in the prince's life. What, he's holding his hands out and he's walking. That's a key stage, is it, nowadays? But uh, quite uh, quite sweet. They say he looks like a young Winston Churchill. Yeah, so t- 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 try not to read too much into that. Try not to read too much into it. Uh, more in the papers about the... Uh, about the bodies who have, uh, which have disappeared. 37 bodies, they say, have disappeared. And uh, all the papers are saying it's quite clear where the responsibility lies. Uh, Putin plans to invade the Ukraine. That's had to be postponed after MH17. Russia say the paper cannot deny its part in the slaughter. I mean, it, um, I don't think the tragedy of MH17 will actually do anything to stop Putin and his plans to re-establish a new Soviet Union. I mean, this was a a tragic accident for him, but his ambition extends beyond the Ukraine and it it won't stop that. The world now knows he's involved with separatists connected to the deaths of hundreds of innocent people. And the Sunday Express say, I think he will understand there is no going back now and he will make his move. Ukraine is only the first stage. It's the beginning of a wider campaign to increase Russia's strength. He will move to other countries such as Moldova and uh, Belarus because there's a, a strong Russian population there. This will become a European war if the West doesn't do more to stop it. Whether it does, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see and there will be much, much comment on LBC, and you'll be hearing other people talking about it. And uh, like the situation in the Gaza Strip, there appears to be no end in sight. You're looking at people who are, you know, a field that's full of sunflowers, and they're just carrying bodies out bit by bit. Really terrible, really terrible. Uh, Rosemary Connolly's in the paper today. She's uh, selling her country mansion. It's a, a Georgian estate set in 127 acres, went on the market last me- last week. 
Uh, it was never Rosemary's home, but for 21 years was the headquarters for her multi-million pound diet and exercise business, which went into administration in April. She's selling the house for £3.75 million. Now, I interviewed Rosemary Connolly years and years ago when she, she first burst onto the scene. And uh, she says here, it's, it's a wonderful place. We've had a lot of fun here. I won't shed a tear because I'm not emotionally attached to it. It was my office. If I'd slept here, she said, it would have been completely different. But uh, they're going to have to spend money upgrading the kitchens and the bathrooms and things like that. It's got ten bedrooms, five recepts and four baths. All for £3.75 million. Can't even buy a decent place in Chelsea for that nowadays, ladies and gentlemen. She lives in 50 acres of land in nearby Ashby-Folville. And now she's become a hate figure after the collapse of her 42-year slimming empire. They ran classes, sold books... And uh, it's a shame, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, you know, some people who are so, so successful and then all of a sudden it, it just goes pear-shaped and everything collapses. And so, you know, because you get internet trolls nowadays and people who write dreadful things, they're all going to pick on her and say, right, you ruined it. Whereas, in fact, really, it's, you know, you, you pay your money, you take your choice. It worked for a lot of people. Worked for a lot of people. Uh, Winnie says, uh, a good reason to visit Blackpool. Peter Kay will switch on the Blackpool Illuminations this year. Lovely. The Bolton comic will flick the switch on the 29th of August after a live performance from Little Mix. Oh, Lord. Winnie says, seems like Blackpool are going all out for it this year. <laughs> yes. Well, Little Mix, that, that's all they do now because we're in the, in the era of, of uh, summer concerts. So they all pop around and you'll find, I think, Little Mix uh, were doing one the other day. They've probably got one today. And then Rizzle Kicks had one the other day and they've also got something on today. So they, they just do the rounds. They just do the rounds. Um, Peter says, I seem to remember when Gary Glitter took his computer for repair, the engineer found child porn images on the hard drive, and that was the start of it. Operation Awe by the police here revealed that people who've had their cards cloned abroad were vulnerable to a raid. My cards have been cloned twice over the years, but no sign of actual fraudulent use as the bank was onto it immediately. Yes, a friend of mine who I was talking to yesterday, she got her card cloned, and it was in a garage. And it was in a garage with the self-service thing. You know where you put your card in by the pump? And what the people had done, they put a false front onto it with a little camera. And so when she put her card in, it just recorded her doing the number. So they had the details. She said, luckily, there was only one thing. Somebody, they phoned her and said, have you been spending money in, in Ghana? And she went, no. They thought, we didn't think so. We put a block on it. Somebody told me once that there was some, somebody, I got phoned up by the bank. And they said, uh, somebody's tried to buy dresses online. I said, I can assure you, I have never worn a dress. I tell a lie. I might have done. But, I mean, I've certainly never ordered anything online. I said, how much worth of dresses? I said, £700 worth. So I meet her. I thought, Alex Reed's got hold of my card. Alex Reed is now trying to use my card with my name on it to sully my good name and to make sure I could buy frocks. And it's obviously people who get hold of your card details from somewhere. Because you hand them out all over the place. Yesterday... I come into town to park, apart from the fact that there was a nightmare because there was the big demonstration down in Whitehall. I'd suffered with the embarrassment at the Hogarth roundabout. And then I go to park in Covent Garden, where I've parked a million and one times, and my details were logged into my phone. So I call the number, and then they go, are you parking car? And then it reads your number back, and I go, yes. And they go, how long park for? Blah, blah, blah. And my card was registered. Yesterday, no. We've now changed the server. So you have to do it all over again. So in other words, there's a company out there that's got all my details. They've got my car registration number and they've got my credit card details. So I'm watching very carefully. Anyway, so yesterday 
they say, can you now input the new details? So I'm doing it on a computer. Put in your car registration number, and for the purposes of this programme, I shall not read you out my car registration number, I shall just give a demonstration. OK, would you like to input your car number now? Yes, beep. So I go, S252 YXZ. I'll repeat that number, says the computer. YXX2VBP. No. So you have to start all over again. The voice recognition was the biggest pile of rubbish. In the end, I'm losing my temper. I'm sorry, we can't continue this call. I'm trying to park the car. And I've done it quite successfully before now, and I'm not an idiot. I know how to do it. Eventually, I get through to a proper person who talks. I said, have we changed servers or something? Because you've got my details for parking in Covent Garden. You've got my details for this. Oh, I don't know anything about that. So I'm thinking they've obviously changed companies in Westminster and nobody bothers to tell me. So we've now done it. So I said, will you send me a receipt to my phone? Yes. Did he? No. Absolutely nothing at all. Not diddly squat. So be warned if you're parking in Westminster, their system is a bit lax. OK, not as good as it could be, I'm afraid, at the moment. He said, perhaps you're standing in a noisy area. I said, not particularly, no, it's London. You know, it's as noisy as it can be. But then you should have compensated for that. If somebody's standing outside the car and they're, you know, standing next to the lamppost with the details on, work on the assumption that it's going to be a little bit noisy. Prince Andrew, biting back. He's emerged as a champion of youth training. I don't know why. Something about Prince Andrew we just don't like, do we? There's certain people that you see, whether in the royal family or something like that, that you just, you just can't bear, I'm afraid. You absolutely can't bear. And he's, he's one of them. The funny, the funny thing is, actually, I don't like... Anything with Prince Andrew. Absolutely nothing at all. Don't like him. Don't like his ex-wife. Don't like his children. Nothing at all. Hold that, innit? It's uh, quarter past seven. EC. Morning, everybody. 19 minutes. Very nearly 20 minutes past seven on a Sunday morning as the sun shines out. And I'll bring you the weather forecast very, very shortly. Uh, Malcolm says, talk your top gear. I think perhaps uh, James should get a haircut as well. Yes, I mean, I, I totally agree, actually. And then uh, somebody says here, loved your conversation with John Barrowman. He giggles a lot. He certainly does. And then I, uh, you know, watched this morning on Friday with Marvin and Rochelle. They do look good, but they need a lot of fine-tuning. I know, it's, I mean, people think it's easy. Believe you me, it's only people like Eamon Holmes that can make something look very, very easy, or Philip Schofield. But uh, nobody else, I'm afraid. Uh, Bev says, uh, because one of the big supermarkets accused her of shoplifting, so they've apologised and sent a £20 gift card. Pfft, is that it? £20 gift card? Oh, I'll be expecting quite a few hundred pounds on that one. Quite a few hundred pounds. Uh, the Queen is George's great-grandmother. His granny is, is, uh, is not with us, says Phil. That's uh, Diana. Right, there you go. There you go. Uh, Reeve credit card uh, fraud. My son got a call from his bank last week to check if he was hiring a JCB in Texas. That was all amazes me. I mean, it's so easy. The, the, the places where you get your cards cloned, garages, top of the list. Ask, uh, ask anybody at Visa or MasterCard, they'll tell you garages or, uh, or a certain sort of restaurant where anywhere where you hand your card away from somebody, anywhere where it disappears from view. I don't, you know, I'm, I'm very wary. So what are you doing with my card? Give it back. You're not supposed to touch my card at all. I don't, you know, I don't like people touching my card. It's, it's not good. And it means that there is the chance that somebody could actually uh, cheat with it. And they could make a copy of it quite easily. All they want is the information on there. They don't want, they don't want too much, they just want the information. Perfect weather today for my trip to the London Eye, says uh, Jackie. Karen's on her way from Swindon, so uh, I expect. And I'm in the bath with you. How lovely. I went to buy some, uh, some shower gels. I got a bit carried away with shower gels, but, uh, but, but very nice indeed. I've been watching, says Sean, 35-year-old editions of Blankety Blank. And when you look at all the real celebrities 
who were on the programme aren't with us anymore. You can understand why television today is so poor. The Beryl Reeds, the Kate O'Maras. Is she not with us anymore, Kate O'Mara? Dear. Diana Dawes, Billy Dainty, Bernie Winters. Nowadays, we've got the cast of The Only Way is Essex. I know. It turns out that uh, Lauren Goodyear, incidentally, isn't actually going to go and live in America, which is such a shame because we'd saved up so hard to send her. And it turns out that uh, she's only going to Brighton. I suppose uh, our loss there gain. Or is it the other way round? And, uh, and the only way is Essex lurches from disaster to disaster. The ghastly Lydia uh, Dim is on there, trying to remember who she snogged. And so Arge is having an argument with her about, you know, she snogged two fellas on the night they were going. And she said, no, I didn't. And then she suddenly remembered she did. I think there's a name for people like that. And she's not had cosmetic surgery. Amanda Holden's getting very upset at people saying she's had surgery. No, what she has is collagen wave. This is where you pass... Uh, sort of ultrasound waves over the skin to stimulate collagen and makes the skin look plump. I must ask Petri Hoskin if she's been going for this collagen wave thing. Because I quite like the idea, because as opposed to having... I don't think you need to have things injected into the skin. I'm slightly perturbed by that. (coughs) Because I've seen... I mean, at the moment, Simon Cowell does look particularly skin-free. You know, not skin-free, but there's no lines, there's no nothing. But it doesn't quite look right doesn't quite... He obviously thinks it looks great, but it doesn't, doesn't look that good. Whereas I think Amanda Holden looks amazing. Absolutely amazing. So collagen, I wonder how much that is. I wonder if I could get away with having that. Biggins has stopped drinking, by the way. You wondered why all of a sudden breweries were closing all over the country. It's because Biggins has been told by his doctor that uh, he says, uh, I'm drinking too much. So he, he's cut out a boost. He said, I shall still be the same person that I was before. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop forever, but I'm not going to stop dancing, singing or being very loud. Thank goodness for that. Thank goodness for that. We don't want to, don't want to lose that personality, thank you very much indeed, in the wonderful world of show business. Uh, the Daily Mirror. The agony of the web revenge porn victims. We've talked about this on the programme before. And it's the story here of a girl whose, I think it was her ex-boyfriend, had pictures of her and he put them up on the internet. And uh, they were sexual pictures of her. It's an ex-boyfriend. She went to the police, and the police said they could do nothing about it. How is it not illegal? And the answer, as I I have to give Hannah Thompson, um, is don't ever take these pictures in the first place. You know, if if you don't want pictures to appear on the internet, then you certainly don't... I mean, fancy letting somebody take sexual pictures of you. (coughs) Because people do put them up. It's called revenge porn. Apparently it means that you finished with somebody and they're determined to humiliate you. So they've taken naughty pictures. Why would any... Listen, I've never been out with anybody who's ever wanted to take any pictures of me, clothed or unclothed, I'm afraid. And believe you me, clothed looks decidedly better. But uh, she here is, uh, you know, furious. She actually typed in something on the internet, found herself, and there were the naked pictures of herself because somebody put them up there. And we've had cases before of young men going onto internet sites and believe that they're talking to a girl. Unfortunately, in many cases, they're talking to a man, and the man is, in the case of a a number of young men, which we've seen in the papers just over this part of the year, have uh, persuaded them to perform various acts, and they filmed them at the same time, and then they've threatened to tell their parents. And uh, we've had the cases of suicide. In the case of this girl, she's gone to the papers, and uh, she said, this is just absolutely ridiculous. So you could have what they call naughty pictures taken... And then if it all goes pear-shaped, which it does in so many cases, because what they're doing, once somebody wants to take naughty pictures of you, they don't just want naughty pictures of you, they want naughty pictures of somebody else they're going out with. And people are very persuasive nowadays. You know, and alcohol and drugs play a big part in it. I mean, lots of people 
have to pay these revenge porn sites money to remove it. There are things called, I've never even heard of them, revenge porn sites. There's one here called, well, I won't tell you what it's called. You can find out yourself in the paper. But um, people send in the pictures of their of their boyfriends or girlfriends. The, the company put them up there, guaranteeing all amateur sub, uh, submissions. And then you go on there and go, I want my picture removed. And they go, £300. And so you have to pay them for them to remove them, the photos and the videos. I mean, some people post on Facebook and Twitter. It's growing. It's absolutely huge. The answer is, whenever you finish with somebody, make sure it's on good terms. And if you've ever been unfortunate enough to be uh, posing for them in front of their phone and their camera or anything like that, be warned. It can happen to you, as it did to Hannah, when she went on there and found a, a screen filled with images of her doing various things, and then comments from men on what they would like to do to her as well. They don't know her. They just go on to these revenge websites. It's uh, it's awful. She said it was my first proper relationship, and so uh, I agreed to have pictures taken. Let this be a lesson to you, and hopefully a lot of other people listening, that don't ever, ever, ever have pictures taken. Don't ever go onto the internet and believe that the person you're talking to is really the person you're talking to. Sometimes it's not, and people get fooled, and uh, it can horribly backfire. 30 million pages are viewed every month at the height of revenge porn. 30 million. There's that many people going onto the internet. It's a terrible situation. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Uh, 84850, and says, Parking Wester, many emails and text messages were sent out prior to the Westminster parking. Obviously, you didn't read them, you rude old bag. I didn't get them. Didn't get them, otherwise I would have known about it. Apparently, Westminster run a very tight borough. I think, actually, tight kind of sums, sums them up, really. And enough time is given to notify you of the changeover on the 17th of July. Ooh, you horrible old woman. I hope you burn in the heat today. <laughs> I hope you run out of cold water. I didn't get any, actually. I didn't get them, so obviously you're in on the know. Did you send them out personally? Did you? Oh, look, we finally got the weather. Oh, there is a god, which is lovely. And the weather for today. Oh, look, hot for you, Anne. Sunny, sp- oh, here we go. Thundery showers again. Look at this, you wouldn't believe thundery showers were possible. I feel like we're living in some strange country now. Mainly in the afternoon, so that's good. So I shall do a walk this morning. A bit of power walking upstairs. And uh, not actually going to walk. I can't walk in this heat. Terrible, really. And also... You won't believe this, and this, this is going to sound really bizarre, and you will have to check it. It's not, it's not July. Sorry, it, it, is, it is only July, isn't it? Yes, it, we, haven't, we haven't had April Fool's hailstones today. You're going to get hails. That's what it said here. I can only repeat what Jake sent me. Torrential downpours and the risk of large hail. Not even little hail. Large hail. It's going to be dreadful. And then the thunderstorms will fade away around dusk. Dry night with clear spells, and then tomorrow... Isolated afternoon showers, mainly dry, and the high today... What are we looking for today? 26 degrees. So, 52, 82. Oh, that's bad enough, isn't it? I don't like it. I'm sure, I can't work out if I'm tanning or I'm just sort of... It's rust. It's a bit difficult to tell, really, when you look at your arms, isn't it? Tomorrow, uh, they've said it's about 27 degrees, about 81 Fahrenheit. And Tuesday through Thursday, it's cloud-breaking, sunny spells, early rain, sunny spells, heavy afternoon showers. But today... The risk of large hail. Did you see on the beach the other day, we were sitting here looking at the television, and on Sky they had a beach, it might have been Brighton, and I thought somebody was standing behind the cameraman just throwing little sort of mothballs or something. But no, it was actually huge hailstones which were landing on the beach. Absolutely unbelievable. So that's what it is for today. So it's a case of sunshine and showers, and uh, be warned. 
You need to sort of get out there and make sure you're prepared for this. Mind you, every day I'm, I'm never prepared for the weather that we get because I never know what it's going to be. Tourists must arrive here and they go, sorry, what, what sort of weather do you get in England? And I go, well, just about everything. We get sunshine, we get showers, we get hailstones, and, uh, and then we get some more sunshine, and then we get torrential rain, and we get monsoon rain, and uh, then we'll have a drought. And then there won't be any water in the reservoirs uh, because it all have disappeared. And we've only got old Victorian uh, sewage works. And so nothing gets processed. And it's a complete disaster. OK. Seem to manage in Las Vegas, don't they? Quick time check for you. 7.30. Morning, everybody. 25 minutes to uh, 8. Kay says, I had the, uh, the piece of my hair appointment interrupted again when fat Gemma turned up in the salon. This is Gemma Collins from The Only Way is Essex. She's like a human foghorn, thinks everybody wants to hear her voicemails and telephone conversations where she likes to name drop. Well, there's not really a lot of people she can name drop, is there, I shouldn't think. And uh, nobody's interested. She's very unlikable, says Kay, and doesn't act on the show as that is her. Yes, I should imagine. I mean, if television makes you look big, she must be even worse in real life, poor soul. On the subject of uh, Prince Andrew... Richard says, although you don't like HRH, the Prince Andrew's family, I believe they speak highly of you. I couldn't care less about them. Actually, I, I couldn't care less about anybody in the royal family as, l- as less as I think of them. I never liked him before. I always thought he was, he was just not a particularly pleasant person. I never could stand Sarah Ferguson. <laughs> I really couldn't. I thought he could have chosen better. But uh, he's had a bit of a chequered history, hasn't he, poor old Prince Andrew, over the years, with Vicky Hodge and all the rest of them on that island. And uh, lovely and quiet, says Mark. In the conservatory, drinking drinking coffee. Obviously, no no repossessions today. Bit of a shame, isn't it, really? Because I always think Sunday's the best time to go and get people and ruin their life when he goes out there and takes their cars away and stuff like that. Steve's in Goa. He says, after watching the debacle at Edinburgh Castle last night, I had to abandon ship and go to bed when Bill Bailey started playing his horns, which is an act that Rolf Harris did 40 years ago. I like Bill Bailey. I, I won't hear a word said against Bill Bailey. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Plenty of fresh coconut water here. Collecting my own from the garden. He's in Goa, you see. Temperature 34 degrees, monsoon in full swing. A little bit larger than that storm that you had on Friday, but you'd love warm rain. I like it when it rains, actually. I like looking out the door and it literally, it just plummets down. It's, uh, that, I think, is quite exciting. Mind you, I opened up the papers today to try and find some light stories, to try and sort of set you off on your mood for Sunday. And here's one that'll make you just absolutely die laughing. Little old Sam for here's. You know Sam? This is the one who apparently is going out with Joey Essex, which is quite sweet in itself. Apparently, the story goes in the papers that she's heading for Hollywood. Yes, apparently, she, uh, she's in talks to top agents about a career in the States. Now, let me tell you, this is the biggest pile of hogwash that you've ever heard in your entire life. For the simple reason, they've got a million, two, no, they've got ten million, no, they've got thirty million people who are like her, untalented and desperate. There is no place for her in the States. She thinks that she could, um, she could have a reality TV show. Doing what? Why would anybody be remotely, in, why would Americans be remotely interested in somebody who hasn't even got a command of the English language? They wouldn't be remotely interested. They're they're just not interested at all. And uh, she set up a series of meetings, including one with an agency that specialises in a host of A-list stars. Why would they want a Z-lister like her? I'm sorry, so uh, apparently they're hinging it all on the fact that she spent two evenings in the company of Leonardo DiCaprio. No, she didn't. No, she didn't. She bumped into him at a restaurant in Magaluf. And and he went, yeah, OK, fine, thank you. Get rid of her, get rid of her. And, uh, and off she went again. So uh, they say now that uh, she regularly flies overseas to make personal appearances at private parties. It's sad, isn't it, really? The delusional. 
I love it. I love our third-rate celebrities who seriously believe that somebody in America is going to offer them a reality show and turn them into the new Kim Kardashian. No, we've had Kim Kardashian, OK? Nobody's interested in you. I hope it's all not going pear-shaped over at Minnie's. I hope, it, I, hope, I hope things are looking up. It'd be rather nice to think that you have got some sort of career going. Uh, Patricia says, I have no sympathy for anybody who takes sexual pictures of themselves. Why are the young women of today so stupid? I don't know. I don't know, but you read about this all the time. You read about it all the time with people, people doing these kind of things. Uh, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. There's a story of a former rent boy caught up in the Westminster sex ring scandal. It reveals he was blackmailed into being abused by top Tories. He was even warned his family back home in Northern Ireland would have an accident if he refused to have sex with their powerful clients. Can you believe this? I mean, is this serious? Or is this just a load of old rubbish? This one here. So he's, he, he's a rent boy, and he's 59, and he's come forward after reading the story last week. Um, he's married now. So he was a rent boy, and now he's not a rent boy. And so he, he talks about all sorts of people, mainly people who are dead. So how you ever sort of prove this, I don't know. They say he arrived in London in 1975 as a 20-year-old fleeing the troubles in his home country. He got a, he got a bed in a Catholic-run hostel, landed a job at a shop, but his life changed forever days later, wandering the streets penniless. So wait a minute, he's working at a shop, and the next thing, he's wandering the streets penniless. And he ended up um, at the notorious area called the Chicken Rack. It was never called the Chicken Rack, the baloney that these people write here. It was called the Meat Rack, where young rent boys touted for business. Within minutes, he was approached by a man calling himself Kevin. Uh, this young man says, he asked me if I was looking for something. I said, yes, food. Looking back, I was stupid to go with him. And anyway, they went sort of off to a pub and all the rest of it. I mean, it's either the biggest fantasy from this sort of person, or failing that, it's just, you know, it's just making up stories for the sake of making up stories. I was forced to have sex with leading Tories, he says, and blackmail to keep quiet. Where you get the evidence for this kind of thing, I don't know. Pippa Middleton and partner Nico Jackson have set their hearts on their dream home. It's a mansion with quarters for a nanny as well. And it costs £3 million. It's in uh, West London, Victoria Street. I don't know how this home can cost this much. It's in Parsons Green. £3 million? I don't have any mansions in Parsons Green. I know Parsons Green very well. They say it's got six double bedrooms, a luxury cinema suite. For that read, it's a room with a big screen in it and six seats. And uh, a nanny pad. In other words, it's got a spare room they've converted into a little pad so the nanny could live there. And uh, it's being refurbished, due to be finished last week. Uh, so they haven't bought it. They're just trying to obviously flog it. The estate agent's obviously gone round trying to make something of interest. And uh, pictures here. A Harry Potter actor uh, who's also been in uh, Star Wars. Paul Grant. Photograph snorting lines of cocaine. I mean, you can't believe the stupidity of these people at all. He says here, he says, I need help. Um, he also stood in for actor Kenny Baker as R2-D2 in the final scenes of Star Wars. And uh, here he is, says, my family has disowned me, work has dried up. I've been on cocaine and it's just got worse. I'm drinking and smoking everything that I can get. I never understand. I've often said to people before that if you start doing cocaine and you become addicted to it, you lose everything. You lose everything. It is very expensive, it is very, very addictive, and he's just completely ruined his life. But to be photographed snorting cocaine doesn't really help, does it? Um, he's done all sorts of uh, films. He comes from Peterborough. Well, not that makes it... It's a little person. It's a dwarf. And, uh, and so here it is. He said, I've lost it, I now need some help. Why don't these people go and get the help? Why don't they sort of try, as opposed to the newspapers, having to expose them 
and really embarrassed them into everything. Why can they not go and get some help? Denise Van Outen has been droning on to anybody who'll listen about uh, the new man in her life. She's told pals that this new bloke has made her believe in love again. Why do these people insist on telling you everything about their love life? It really is dreadful. Hailstones can kill, says Malcolm. Watch the idiot storm chasers in America. They've had their vans wrecked by them. I've seen this storm. You can go into Kansas, can't you? And I believe you can go storm chasing. And you can chase, you know, whirlwinds and stuff like that. It's good. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't mind watching it on the television. But when you see the power of these things... Look what happened to poor Dorothy and Toto and everybody. I mean, they just disappeared up at it and went to meet the Wicked Witch of the West. Pfft, not so good at all. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. Michael says, can you give an update on the Teddington Studios closure intended by the Haymarket Group for conversion? No, no, it's staying as a studio. That was ages ago. Ages ago. So that's, uh, no, it's been saved. Unless it's changed again. Uh, Stuart says, several years ago, my dad was butler to a distinguished man, now sadly dead. The gentleman said Sarah Ferguson was the rudest woman he'd ever met. Well, I mean, I'm quite sure. She used to be... I, I used to love watching her on the television. When you realise what her history was, that uh, it wasn't so great, and she used to, she appeared on the Des O'Connor show, and uh, her, him and Melanie Sykes kowtowed to her, and I thought, who is she? She's not really anybody at all. She was just some sort of jolly hockey stick sort of girl who sort of went round the country getting freebies. That was what she did. A friend of mine bumped into it in a spa in Thailand, where she obviously knew the owner, so she wasn't paying for it. And my friend was booked in to have all her treatments done. And Sarah Ferguson just barged in in front of her. I suppose because in America, they think she's some big deal. I think because they think she's been associated with royalty. The fact it was Princess, uh, was Prince uh, Andrew takes it down a notch or two. But I think they're very impressed with things like that in America. They lo- Any connection with royalty. I think that's why Paris Hilton has Princess Hilton on her doorbell because she likes to think of herself as American royalty, because they don't actually have a royal family. They end up with people like Paris Hilton, and we get Sarah Ferguson, which is very exciting. I think so. Uh, 84850, steve at uk. 16 minutes to 8. And I'll be with you in a matter of minutes. 11 minutes to 8. It's uh, Steve Allen. Mark, our, uh, our bailiff, is now doing magistrate's court warrants. He says, I've been listening over the weeks about kids being kept from school. He says, it's happening now. I'm executing warrants on parents that were convicted in court about a year ago. And six points on your licence, he says, for using a mobile should be an instant ban for six months. The driving style in this country is disgusting. I absolutely agree with you. It gets worse and worse. In fact, the more police programmes I watch, the more you discover that half the people who are stopped don't either have a licence or insurance or... They've got nothing on their cars at all. It's, I mean, it's, it's quite frightening. I did pick up Closer magazine. I picked it up on Friday, only to have a, a laugh at, uh, at Jordan... Uh, who fears that Kieran cheated again, and then, of course, she's managed to come out of her uh, little shell that she's lived in for so many years now. She's quite a shy, retiring person, Jordan. She doesn't like talking about her life at all. But uh, play the right amount of pieces of gold and she'll sing like a canary. And so she's di- uh, dis- discussing... Is it disgusting? Oh, she's probably disgusting too, but she was talking about Kieran and the Sun this morning. But the other story in Closer Magazine on the front page, the secret behind the brand-new Kerry Katona look... I could tell you exactly what it was. It was the son giving her £20,000 and saying, do you want to lose weight in time for your wedding? She'll pile it on again afterwards, as indeed Chantel, I believe, is already working towards the Christmas DVD of How I Lost the Weight. That's all Chantel does. She just gets fat, gets thin, gets fat, gets thin. Kerry Katona thinks that every man she goes out with or marries she has to have a baby with. It's not compulsory, dear, but we can't explain that to you. And so they've got a brand new look for her. 
but uh, it'll last five minutes. And Katie Price's uh, disastrous love life and marriage will lurch into yet another chapter of history, I'm afraid. Four pages in the sun this morning on her. Four pages on the downed Malaysian airliner. I'd like to know what the, what the priority is there. And then there was a girl in the paper today called Sasha Parkinson. I'd never heard of her either. Do you ever know who she is? Any idea? No, not a clue. Apparently, she was in Coronation Street. As what? I've got no idea. But um, she, uh, they say here, cruel jibes about her appearance have driven her to tears. And she says, when you're in a high-profile show... Bear in mind, we don't know who she is. When you're in a high-profile show... You can be ridiculed for your weight, for your hair and your teeth and every single little thing. You have to develop a really thick skin. I mean, all she played was Sean Powers, who was Sophie Webster's lesbian lover. She said, I went on holiday with Brooke Vincent, who played Sophie, and we were photographed in our bikinis. At the time, I weighed about nine and a half stone. I put on a little weight from eating canteen food and burgers. When the pictures came out, I got lots of comments saying I looked chubby. It was horrible. I cried about it. Need to get over yourself, love. Need to get over yourself. However, I love it when Witch magazine do one of their investigations. And they did one the other day looking at laptops. Customers, that's you and I, who uh, pay over the odds for laptop repairs and get a poor service. In five cases, researchers were charged more than £100 for work that should have cost 50 quid. One branch of Curry's and PC World wanted £170, which said... Researchers installed a simple software fault on 24 laptops and took them to six branches each of Carphone Warehouse, Curry's and PC World, plus six independent stores. They also took six MacBooks to Apple stores. No chain successfully repaired all six laptops and only 40% of them were repaired correctly. A Curry's and PC World spokesman said they had a 97% success rate. Carphone Warehouse said, we welcome customer feedback when you've got it. The advice is, be very careful where you take these things, Sue, because they appear not to know how to do them. But they've done that on the telly before, haven't they, where they've exposed plumbers and people like that, and they, they sort of send them in, and they, they make a little tiny mistake on the boiler. They take something out of the boiler, and then they, with hidden cameras, they, uh, they watch people, and they see exactly what they do. And most of these people, they haven't got the faintest idea. They haven't got the faintest idea. So I just assume we're being ripped off all the time. 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. Poor old Michelle says, uh, uh, my parents are avid listeners, but they've got no idea about TOWIE. Don't they read it? Can't they read? Have they ever read a newspaper, dear? Hello. Hello. Sorry, I'm just waving to the next team. You have to do it. It's called showbiz. You know, you have to sort of kind of get in there. We all have to pretend we like each other. Hello. Love you. Love you. Think you're being you for Halloween. And uh, it's really nice, you know. The trouble is, when you sort of cook, it's like a television program in here. I sit in here staring. It's like a goldfish bowl. Do you know, if this place filled up with water next door, it'd be far more entertaining for me just to watch them all struggling because we've only got one life belt and I'm wearing it around my waist. I'm not sharing it. <laughs> so poor old Michelle's parents who can't, can't read papers anymore because they've never heard of Towie. Bit worrying, isn't it, really? 84850steve@lbc.co.uk, And uh, Ian says, surely something can be done to help Katie Price with her addiction to wedding cake. I think it's children, isn't it, with her? I think she just wants lots and lots of children. I mean, she's going to spend the rest of her life being so miserable, I'm afraid. <laughs> so miserable. Uh, Alan Phillips in Glasgow says, uh, I have to say, your comments over the years about being too old for clubbing at over 40 is spot on. Although I did see an EasyJet programme the other day, and it was a DJ flying in, and he was going to, might have been Edinburgh, and they'd lost at Stansted his record bags. Uh, and he had his, his case with all his records in. 
And the old bloke there said, it's, it's going to be my duty to find it. Might have been Dublin, actually. But anyway, whatever it was, they found it. And he said to this old boy, who was about 55, 60, he said, you must come to the club. And he said, do you know, I will. And he went to the club and I, I stood up and cheered. Because it was so good because he'd reunited the DJ with his uh, record. So he was able to earn a few thousand pounds for his gig or whatever they actually get. And it was, it was very interesting. But I, I do love the people on EasyJet. They're because they all, everybody they seem to hate passengers. And I laugh because people turn up late and they're rude about them and things like that. I'd be the same, actually. I would be the same. Uh, 84850, oh, Steve at lbc.co.uk. And uh, Strictly Dancing's Erin Boag revealing the secrets of her weight loss. And so they've got a picture from donkeys years ago um, but because she piled on the weight in pregnancy. And so she said, I cried when I put on Fallstone having a baby and then I got my figure back. Are we all obsessed with losing weight nowadays? Everybody's obsessed with how, you know, and, and then you've got Loose Women's Andrea McLean. She turned up on one of the shopping channels the other day as if she designed jewellery. Something very odd about her. My second divorce was so bad, I didn't go out for a year. I know. It's odd, really, isn't it? But then you did cheat on one of them, didn't you? I seem to remember that. So I can, I can understand. And then there's a woman here who, um, she's got eternal love. Uh, it was from a love letter written by a young soldier killed in Afghanistan. And so she had his love letter tattooed on her foot. Got any tattoos on your body? Any tattoos? Anything? No, please. Please. No, I, I, keep, I know. Yes. I keep thinking maybe I should get a little tattoo done. And then I keep thinking, not really. People would laugh. I think you get to a certain age and you just can't do things like that, can you? They sort of go, listen, do you not think you're a little bit too old? I didn't get a chance to read Kevin O'Sullivan's column today. And, uh, column, and I do like reading Kevin O'Sullivan, but he does talk about the unspeakable bores who are the speakmans. This, this crackpot couple... Uh, it's, uh, this, you know, they've had all sorts of people on there. Nick and Eva Speakman. I tell you, if they moved in next door to you, you'd have to sell the property. You couldn't have people like that. They have all sorts of oddballs turning out. People who've got a phobia about being sick. But, uh, but they did cut their teeth at Quackery Central. That's, uh, this morning. And so they do touchy-feely. He, he like, looks like Martina Navratilova, and she looks like she's the result of Botox that's gone horribly wrong. But, uh, it's, it, 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 it does get very seriously boring, says Kevin. Oh, I agree. I mean, I turn them off very, very quickly. But uh, they say here, our caring, sharing heroes cued the uh, the woman who kept being sick in about ten minutes. She can ride her horse again now. Whoopie doo! But they've got such a, a cast list of really successful celebrities like Kerry Cope Toner and people like that. So, but they're they're just oddballs. They're oddballs, and I I don't I don't really watch people like that on the television. I like to watch a sensible program. Like this morning with Eamon Holmes. That's always provides me with endless amusement. I don't know why, actually. I look at him thinking, do you know, you're taking up the whole of my television screen now, and I've got widescreen and everything. Uh, the Sunday Mirror, the front page, the British student, the top Putin rebel. The Sunday Express, they're doing the same. They've got rebel steel plane bodies. The Queen, smiling, because she's going to George's birthday. Tragic Jill Dando, probed. A BBC pedo ring, that's the Daily Star. Uh, the Sunday People, Brit family wiped out. The Allen family happily posing during a holiday in February. Uh, the Sun have the body snatchers and also Katie Price's dreary story. I don't want to be rude about it. I'm sure it'll do very well for them. Uh, the Observer, the armed rebels denying access to the tragic victims of flight MH17. And so it goes on on all the papers. No doubt uh, they will be discussing that next with Stig and Petri on LBC. If you missed any of the, uh, the programme then uh, you can listen again. If you go to the LBC website, lbc.co.uk, you can download a free app, a free app which will uh, download the free podcast to you, which you get Monday to Friday 
OK. And then the repeat of In Conversation with John Barrowman and Armstrong and Miller is this evening at nine o'clock on LBC. If you haven't downloaded, they're very good. It's a very good programme. Very good for it. I can't believe you even asked that. What do you mean, was it any good? Of course it was any Or were they any good? Oh, very funny. I was funnier, but they, they, they were funny as well. So you can download John Barrowman, very funny. He's had to apologise to everybody he bumped into in London when he had a, a few uh, a few sherbets too many the other evening. But anyway, so that's good. So listen to it this evening, just after Clive Bull and, uh, and before Duncan Barks. And then I'm back again with you tomorrow morning at four. It doesn't seem possible, does it? Today we're going to get a little bit of sunshine, which we have now. And then we're going to have some rain, and then we're going to have hailstones. It sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Whoopee! Love hailstones. Uh, standing in this afternoon uh, is Ian Payne at two. But coming up next on LBC, it's Stig Abel, joined today by Petri Hoskin.